0: During their childhood in Hong Kong, where forests were virtually non-existent, our upcoming guest aspired to be a forest ranger. This dream was ignited by advertisements found at the back of comic books that promised to train him to be one. Although this career ambition didn't unfold as planned, he found success in market research, a solid alternative choice. Welcome to Smarter Together, the market research podcast by phase five. In each episode, we will be bringing in guests with different areas of expertise from different organizations to dig into the latest, most innovative, and most inspiring insights we encounter in our work as a market research firm that focuses on customer centricity. Hi, everyone. I would like to welcome our special guest, Eric Chu, the Director of Research and Industry Insights at Interact. Phase five has had the opportunity to collaborate with Eric and Interact over the past several years across a variety of research types, including customer experience, innovation, and user experience. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks, Rachel.
0: To get things started today, I would love if maybe you could kick it off by telling us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah. So as you know, uh, Director of Research, my background, I would say it's a long winding road to get to (laughs) where I I am. Uh, And it hasn't been a straight line by any means. I have to make a confession at this point. (laughs) I've actually never taken a market research course in my life
0: interesting
1: <laughs> uh, yeah being a director of research which is uh, kind of strange maybe it's not strange in fact maybe it's uh, quite common it's uh, i think a lot of us in the industry got to where we are through this serendipitous way uh, and certainly it was with me i was studying economics in uh, in university and i i got recruited to do this really interesting survey project it was out in California, and they were trying to figure out if California residents were willing to pay to keep oil rigs off the California coast. And if so, how much would they be willing to pay in terms of taxes and all that? At the time, uh, this was years ago, um, there were actually rigs off the coast. Like if you go into to Santa Barbara, and you a beautiful city, with beaches, and there'd be oil rigs off the coast, you know, which would, you know, spoil any sightline, not to speak of the environmental risks. But it's easy to say, oh, I want these rigs out of here. It's another to say, well, okay, I'm willing to pay for that. You know, if I truly value that, I should be willing to pay. So that's how kind of, I kind of got sucked into survey research uh, or market research initially And uh, that ended up, I went to graduate school also in economics in Texas, but that early experience led me to an internship with a market research firm. And when I figured out that I didn't want to be an economist, uh, that was when I thought, okay, maybe market research was the way to go. Uh, I came to Canada after university, Toronto, and we're right in the middle of the recession. There was no jobs to be had, Not at least in market research, you had to have Canadian experience, et cetera. So I actually ended up working initially at Rogers. In those days, it was called Rogers Cellular, the cellular company that was just starting up at the time and uh, ended up in finance. Research was always in the back of my mind and I noticed that the marketing department had the better parties. And (laughs) so when the uh, market research position opened up there, I applied and and was selected. So uh, that was kind of my jump into market research.
0: That's a very interesting transition in. Very, very cool. And then I'd love to hear a little about what Mm -hmm. it was like transitioning into that market research role.
1: Yeah, it was, of course, a jolt in terms of a learning experience. But I found that a lot of the skills that I had were surprisingly translatable in the sense of, In finance, you're looking at financial data and making decisions based on that, but still it's analysis of quantitative data, and so in a way it translated quite well. Uh, Things like uh, communication skills are always in demand and always very useful regardless of your job, and uh, that was very transferable as well. So it was kind of, you know, rough in the beginning, but not as, you know, looking back, not as rough as you would think.
0: Would you say that for someone who's starting out in a market research role, that the best way to get into it is just to throw yourself into it and give it a shot and to learn as you go?
1: Yeah, you know, not everyone has the opportunity, but if you had the opportunity, sure, it would be a great way to to jump in and, um, you know, and Try it out to see if it really interests you. You know, I'm just thinking back at my internship at the market research room down in Texas, and I got to do all kinds of stuff. Like in those days, they had they didn't do online research. They did you know phone interviews. I'm kind of (laughs) aging myself now, but (laughs) they had these big uh, phone rooms. Like they would, you know, we would be cold calling people, and they would make me cold call people uh, on the phone. So you know, it was right from the ground up in terms of actual interviews with consumers right off the bat. And then, you know, got you know, progressed to coding, things like that. So all the aspects of the business uh, I learned quite, uh, you know, from the ground up and and quite early on. And and that experience kind of, you know, stays with you. Absolutely. And I'm curious,
0: once you got into that market research job now, how would you say you navigated your way to your current position now in marketing and customer experience?
1: as I said, it's a bit of a winding road. Um, mm-hmm. My next job after uh, the cellular business was actually in pharmaceuticals. Okay. So very interesting, yeah. very different industry, totally different. I was kind of shocked they gave me the job. But I guess, you know, looking back, people really took risks in hiring me. For those jobs like even the original finance job because I, I i didn't have experience in any of those things so i'm just amazed people would do you know there must selected. have been
0: something there must yeah be exactly
1: yeah yeah exactly so you know it's um it's important to to of course to be good at what you do but also be passionate about what you do i think people sense that passion and therefore uh, they take risks with you. So, my next one was, was in pharmaceutical, very different market with doctors, pharmacists, pr- primarily doctors. The company was Berner Ingelheim. They specialize in respiratory drugs. So, got to really know that uh, part of the industry, the niche uh, within pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceutical companies are very different, they're very international for starters. Of course, uh you know the audience is very different, much more technical in nature. you got to learn your drug names and and basic chemistry so that was uh very interesting and got it um it presented a view to how products could be marketed in ways that are not the traditional what you think of as marketing you know you think of as marketing as you know selling peanut butter and chips at the supermarket. Well, no, that was totally different. You know, that was about, you know, presenting, uh, research paper, medical research papers to specialists, to influence them in terms of their understanding of different types of respiratory diseases and, you know, and how, uh, different drugs might help different types of diseases. It was great learning, um, and a great experience. And from there. I ended up actually at uh, Harlequin Romances, which <laughs> another, you know, amazing. thinking back, amazing. Why would they hire a guy to, you know, research romances? <laughs> it was a much wider product portfolio than just, you know, romance novels. They had a uh, thriving and as big as the, you know, that side of the business, a thriving uh, direct mail business in things that were totally unrelated, you know, like gardening equipment, stuff like that, uh, gardening kits, I should say. But that Part of the business was really interesting in that it's the first time in my life where um, you know, as a lot of the business was in the U.S., so I did a lot of qualitative research in the U.S. I would you know go down to the heartland of Harlequin romances, which is kind of the Midwest and the South of the U.S. So I'd go to places like uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, Nashville, places like that, uh, where the um, the most loyal readers were. And do qualitative research down there, and it was the only time in my life where I was a mini celebrity because you you you'd get off the plane and you would have to go to your focus groups. You would hire a car, uh, you know, at the airport, and it was when you do that, you always have to tell who you work for. Uh, mm-hmm. No, when you rent your car, and you know, I'd write, I'd write down Harlequin and go, "Whoa, really?" And you know, I'd always get questions from everybody. He'd say, "You work for them?" You know. I have to tell, I have to disappoint them that, you know, I'm not an editor. I'm just a research (laughs) guy. (laughs) Um, But it was uh, fascinating just to glimpse at, you know, a really loyal and passionate customer base that was really into the product. It was a fascinating subject. (laughs) I never put it that way.
0: Absolutely. I also think it's pretty fascinating how each of the companies that you worked for were completely different from each other. What amazing experiences that is to work for Mm -hmm. very different, Businesses,
1: yes, absolutely, yeah. but also a lot of commonalities between them. Uh, you know, now that looking back, in what way? A lot of the, well, a lot of the principles of market research are similar. They're not that different. Things like customer perceptions, customer preferences, understanding a customer's decision-making process is surprisingly similar, whether it's, you know, a drug or it may be shocking to think that your doctor is, you know, (laughs) is approaching his or her decision making in a way that's similar to someone who's choosing what book to read. But in some ways, it's not that different. It's about brand positioning. It's about product. It's about understanding the motivations behind what drives people. And you, and, you go. know, and, and in the end, we're all humans. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a commonality, I guess.
0: Definitely. So, Eric, after that last role that you just explained a little bit, what was the rest of your path that took you to where you are now?
1: Yeah. So I finally ended up at Interact, which was 22 years ago, which is shocking <laughs> because I'd lost <laughs> track. But that was a long time ago. Interact was a very different place. It was an Interact association at the time which was a nonprofit. It was its membership were the banks, uh, all the biggest banks in Canada, including the credit unions. Uh, and they banded together to offer this service called Intract Cash, which is it allows you to get to use your card regardless of who your bank is at any ABM in Canada. So that was the original uh, uh, service. Uh, and then they introduced debit. And when I got here, one of the, the most memorable things, uh, you know, looking back is in this first survey I did, when we asked Canadians, what is your most used payment method? The number one most used payment method was still cash when I first started here. Wow. Which was amazing because you know, very <laughs> few people use cash these days. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, you know, it's been a sea change and it's been a really fun ride to kind of be on that journey of how Canadians have totally transformed how they pay for stuff.
0: Make payment.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I only spent about half my time here in market research. Uh, The other half was actually in marketing, because I was quickly transitioned into the marketing role. I ended up uh, as director of marketing for many years, about five years. So many people, some people still remember that Interact truck. You know, there was a big campaign about that. Uh, so I was behind that. And things like you may still see a lot of decals on ABMs and on um, on pin pads that say protect your pin uh, mm-hmm. with the hand over the pin pad. That was, you know, that was one of my big projects. So a lot of stuff over the years. Um, but all of it was grounded in market research. So, you know, market research was about 20% of my job. So, so it really informed the marketing that I did. I think that continues today. Uh, when a position opened up in research, a, a dedicated position, I should say, in mm-hmm. research, that it was not part of the marketing group, it was part of enterprise strategy. Interact had grown to the point that those, you know, at the time, to a point where, someone couldn't be doing market research on the side which is what i was doing you know on the side of my desk they needed a dedicated person full time on market research so when that position opened up you know i jumped at the chance of you know being that person that kind of took interact to another level in terms of you know what we did
0: i'd love to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that and how Mm -hmm. your roles and responsibilities changed with that transition
1: yeah, it, it really changed a lot. So as I said, started off with enterprise strategy. So I started doing a lot of market research for other groups in the company, apart from marketing. Mm-hmm. So we were, uh, starting up our product group. We we're starting up our sales team. Mm-hmm. We we're starting up uh, a whole bunch of other things that, uh, we didn't have to worry about before as a nonprofit. Um, and as a result, uh, the function really grew. Um, and along with that, kind of along the side, the analytics industry also grew. The tools and the data that was available, you know, you, you hear terms like big data. Nowadays, it's AI, this, AI, that. But <laughs> in the old days, it was, you know, big data and, you know, analytics. That side of business really um really grew. And, uh, so I was actually moved into the, uh, what we call CDO, the chief data office, uh, headed up by a chief data officer. So I was under him. And again, we kind of evolved the research function. Uh, so nowadays it's a lot, it's, of course, it's still grounded in survey research and qualitative research. You know, we do everything, ethnographies, uh, as you you um, alluded to already in the beginning, customer experience, all that kind of stuff. But we're also integrating a lot of analytics into our research these days in a way that, A, wasn't feasible or wasn't economically viable in the old days. We didn't have the tools or we didn't have the easy access to data that we have today. But that's one of the the uh, directions that the industry is going and, and, you know, and, and we're part of that as well.
0: Very interesting. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your core responsibilities and tasks now in your current position?
1: Sure. So uh, the CDO group is divided into a number of groups. Uh, my job is primarily in external data. So that's, you know, my involvement with phase five is very much Face five helps me collect and gather and understand the external data mm-hmm. that informs uh, that informs us as an organization. There, there's a couple of groups that are adjacent to myself that look at the internal data. So, there's we have an advanced analytics group that looks at the tra- you know the billions of transactions that interact uh, generates on a you know on an annual basis. Uh, And then there are uh, business intelligence groups, data governance, fraud analytics is a huge part of our group because unfortunately, you know, (laughs) being a payments company, we're a target for a lot of fraudsters, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to apply a lot of analytics to counter those, uh, those fraudsters. And, you know, and to keep the system safe. So a lot of resources is devoted to that. So my role is quite unique within the CDO group, I would say, in that I'm one of the ones that are outward looking instead of inward looking right. at, you know, at our own transactions.
0: Very interesting and very valuable to have both the outward and the inward looking yeah. working together mm-hmm. as well. How Exactly. How would you say, Eric, that you stay updated with some of the latest trends and developments in your field? To make sure you excel in your current role. It's
1: getting harder and harder. It's uh, <laughs> I guess the most difficult part is not necessarily the innovations that come in. You know, we rely a lot on partners like phase five to keep up to date on those trends and those tools and to help us along the journey, you know, to to properly adopt those new things. And I remember a number of years ago. We did uh, user testing with uh, with you guys, and you know it was very useful to do that firsthand. Um, so that was great. The difficulty I find is that there's a lot of hype in a lot of the new tools, and it's kind of figuring out what's the hype versus what is you know what delivers real value. And today, it's AI, this AI, that it doesn't mean that AI isn't great. I'm not saying that at all. But does it deliver incremental value for us at this time? And if so, you know what is what is it? And you know, and, and what is hype? And the trouble with uh, with with things like AI is there's a there's so much hype that it, it becomes noise, and you have to figure out what is noise and what is what What's delivers true value. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then you got to figure out and then you can go forward uh, with our partners and say okay let's adopt this or let's adopt that and uh, you know and, and keep current but it only is worthwhile if it delivers incremental value if mm-hmm. it doesn't then it's just a distraction
0: just thinking back before you were sharing all about the evolution of your roles to kind of get you where you were today now in your career is there anything that you learned from the beginning or one of your earlier Positions that you still are still think about and utilize today. Was there anything that really influenced your current role?
1: Yes, and I think one of the things I learned fairly early that has really stayed with me is the importance of storytelling and trying to truly understand and distill the findings or the takeaways from a piece of research or uh, analysis. It's, uh, you know, you hear the the phrase, you know, the the data speaks for itself. but I don't believe in that at all. <laughs> and uh, so that was one of the th- things that has stayed with me. I don't think the data speaks for itself. Like you, as a market researcher, need to speak for the data. You need to have and to control that narrative. Otherwise, someone else will, Um, and they may not have your experience or your context to truly understand what the data is telling you. So you have to play the role of the storyteller, and if you're not, someone else will. So, uh, uh, you know, that is our value add. It's not to execute a survey. I mean, yeah. anyone can do that in Survey Monkey these days. It's it's uh, you know it's, it's getting uh, easier uh, that and easier.
0: Human aspect, yeah, of story telling exactly. to go with it to make the data make meaning. Yeah,
1: yeah and it has to be, and it's not just this. You know, it's not just telling story. It's telling a story that helps solve a particular business problem. Mm-hmm. So matching that story with you know what is the decision that the requester of the research is trying to make, and how is your information, how is the data that you're presenting, helping them make that decision. And if you don't present it in that light, then research isn't as useful. It's just data.
0: Very well said. Thank you so much, Eric. Switching a little bit to a different topic here, with your experience through your various roles, how would you perceive the difference between conducting research in the B2B space versus the B2C space?
1: Yes, two parts of it. No, there isn't a difference in the sense that business people are still humans. They still have the same inclinations. They don't switch off and become a business person and then switch on and, and become a consumer You know, at five o'clock. They are humans as well. Uh, so in that sense, they're not different. Uh, and so reaching them and talking to them are in many ways similar to a consumer, but the more I do uh, research with businesses, the more I understand that they are quite different. And you know, Face has done a lot of research with uh, businesses for us. And the more we do, the more I understand. Okay, they are different. I think they're different because their needs can be very different. A construction company is very different from. Uh, storefront merchant, uh, they have different business problems, different challenges that uh, you know may be similar, but are quite unique to their industry. You know, a, an example is uh, you know the the payment cycles for some of these companies can be vastly different. There are some huge companies that do very few payments, but they may be very large payments, and there are companies that have a lot of employees that may actually not be such big businesses so you know knowing those contexts is really just is really uh, important but also it's it's not you know when you say talk to a business you're actually talking to an individual to understand what is their role in the company is very tricky actually uh, and that makes business research actually quite difficult figuring out who to talk to and what questions to ask is not always easy, uh, because someone who you know who who is who takes care of the books at a at a company may may have very different priorities than someone who is the owner and mm-hmm. maybe looking for business growth. Whereas, as a you know, keeping the books in the company, you may be focused on something totally different. Uh, you know, you may be uh, focused on costs or on ease in terms of your know, integration of payments into your accounting systems, all that kind of thing. Its uh, uh, Priorities are different and we have to understand many different points of view and understand who we're talking to within a particular business.
0: Another question I'd like to ask is how do insights impact the formation and execution of strategies at Interact?
1: Yeah, it it, uh, it it impacts quite directly and quite profoundly. As a company, Interact is trying to be, and is progressing, I would say, to be much more mature in terms of how we make our decisions. And one of the things we're doing is choosing to be much more deliberate in making business decisions that are based on data and based on good insights. That means collecting those insights and really distilling them down to our business needs uh, and and basing decisions on that. So, for instance, you guys did some research for us on um, e-transfer for business, for example, when we launched that product into the marketplace. Uh, Really understanding the business landscape was really important, really understanding how companies made payment decisions it was really important. Uh, and, and that informed how we position the product. Uh, so it, it, um, And it, it informs A, how we position the product, but also who we position it to. So one of the mm. things uh, you did for us was uh, market segmentation. And we recognized from that piece of work that not everyone is open to a new payment solution. And it's important not to waste our resources selling product to them, selling or positioning our new uh, offering to them because they are very cost conscious. And a new payment method was, you know, was, was the last thing on their priority list. So let's not bother with this group. Let's bother with, you know, let's, let's focus our energies on another group uh, who is more interested in digital transformation and therefore open to these new payment methods. And then properly positioning our product for them.
0: A little bit earlier, you were saying that part of your job is to look outwards. And when you do look outwards and you are working with external research partners, I'd love to know what are some of the do's and don'ts from that client side when it comes to building those relationships with research partners?
1: Yeah, Um I guess one thing that's important is, and, and that's one thing, uh, phase 5, phase five is really good at is sometimes we don't know what we want. It's as a client, I hate to say that it, that it's not because we're incompetent or anything like that. You know, is it, when always coming to a, a research supplier and saying, okay, I want X, Y, Z, it well, maybe some clients do that. Uh, we're certainly not one of them. Uh, business problems are so complex these days that we don't always know what we want, A. And B, even if we did know what we want, we may not really, that may not be really what we need. Uh, So as a research partner, if you truly want to be viewed as a research partner, um, then you need to be A, brave enough to say, hey, you know what, that's not really what you really need. You, know, you maybe you should consider Y instead of X um, and and be open to proposing different solutions that are um, that may be better uh, but also saying you know what do you really even need research here you know uh, you know it, you may have the information you need already so kind of have that collaborative uh, relationship is really important uh, to to a to conducting good research and b to you know having a long-term relationship that is built on on problem solving as opposed to just execution of product you know of projects Mm -hmm. which you know increasingly a lot of technology companies are kind of muscling in on that space and say hey you know you can sign up with us and, and, and you can execute all you want on our platform well that may be the case but uh but true problem solving is is a lot more than that.
0: You kind of walked us through a journey from the beginning up into where you are now, some lessons you've learned and some of that evolution. And I'd love to know if you have any final thoughts you'd love to share with our listeners, any feedback, advice, or anything that's really stuck with you through the different positions to where you are now.
1: So so our our CEO is retiring, Mark Accola is retiring. Uh, and, and we had a kind of acting on the torch yesterday <laughs> uh, at our offices, and he kind of he had a quote from a mentor that kind of it it it's something that I knew, but it kind of put it into words. Uh, that maybe is is uh, is a, is a good final thought. And he said that uh, a mentor said to him early in his career that nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And I think that is true in research as well, that as a researcher, you may know lots of stuff, you know, from, from, your, from the data, from your access to such data, from your analysis. But people need to also sense that you care. And I think uh, it's important to kind of go above and beyond, and and uh, and and uh, somehow show that care. And for a market researcher, that may be along the lines of you know of delivering delivering insights and stories that you know that show that you care. And that may be, you know, calling out a strategy and saying, hey, you know, you're going down the wrong path and the, uh, you know, the data shows otherwise, uh, it could be in many ways, but I think people have to sense that you care in addition to what, you know, And I think that is, uh, that's something to pay attention to, you know, as you go through your career, as you go, you know, you do work, it's so easy to get swept up in the work, in the work itself that uh, uh, it's not just about the execution it's about executing in such a way that delivers value to whoever's asking you and and you know that is the caring part that comes through and and I think people sense that I think we sense that and we certainly sense that from our vendors you know if they care about our success that comes through and it's 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 difficult to hide that you know and if you're just doing it if you're just executing a project just because you're hired to do so you know that comes through too it doesn't uh, communicate that caring part
0: eric that was the perfect ending to a, our conversation today and very very wise words to leave us with so, so thank you so much for your time today it was such a pleasure talking to you and hearing all about your very interesting experiences and your journey through research
1: thanks Rachel that was really interesting and it was enjoyable
0: very fun and for any of our listeners if any of you have any questions you'd like to ask Eric feel free to submit a question on the podcast page of the phase 5 website and we'll make sure to share them with Eric as well hope you have a great day Eric and hope all of our listeners have a great day too see you soon